Um, last week, I got a bunch of nice cards, and I appreciate that, getting loved on with your cards. That's always fun, always a fun thing. And then, of course, at some point, we blow it all at Dairy Queen, and then everybody appreciates it, right? Thank you for that. So, we're breaking up the Gospel of Matthew funny here. So I need, you to, I need you to be with me. This is not going to be one of these sermons probably for the next three weeks. You're not going to really leave here uplifted and encouraged. <laughs> You're going to leave right when Jesus is about to... Oh. And then the next week it'll be the moment that Jesus says, Oh. And that's how we're going to kind of... That's how it splits up. But then we'll have Advent, and it'll be awesome. So hang in there. Well, we'll have Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will be awesome. So, so today we're going to start with Judas. Like I said, not, not all good news. Well, it's all good news, but yeah. Judas. So when we left, last left Judas, he had turned over Jesus to the army of the Sanhedrin. These are like the special guards that were half of the Jewish leader's army, and but also kind of Roman guards and army. And there could have been as many as 600 of them that came to arrest Jesus. If you could just picture that in your head, like a mob, I think... The sign is that I can't read it from here. The capacity of this room is like 150. Can you imagine, you know, I don't know, eight of these, right? A lot of people. Um, four of these, not eight. Math. It's a ton of people, right? And they've all come, and Judas sold Jesus. For basically six months salary, six months pay. So he would have been really, really rich for this exchange. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. Remember, they've taken him in to see Herod. And they've been in the outer court, or uh, Caiaphas. They've gone to see Caiaphas, the high priest, in the middle of the night. You're never supposed to have a trial during the night. That's against the law, but they had a trial during the night. And they have been punching Jesus and slapping him and saying, Who, who slapped you? Prophesy to us. They've been spitting in his face, which is a year and like three months fine. Like if, if you spit in somebody's face, you have to pay 400 days wages because that's so terrible. So Judas is seeing all of this happening. We don't know where he is. He is somewhere. But he's, not, he's definitely not with Peter because Peter probably would have chopped his head off. But he's somewhere watching this happen and he sees that Jesus is condemned and he changes his mind. He brings back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So where are the chief priests and the elders? They're right there with Jesus, condemning him. So Judas is right there in the midst of that. 
He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Just, I, I want you to really grasp the weight of this. They're accusing Jesus by night. They're throwing all these accusations at him to find a way to send him to Pilate to be killed. Jesus has now gone away from them and gone to Pilate in this little interlude. So Jesus isn't there. Probably a bunch of other, the army and the people that were punching him and all that have left too. But there's Judas comes in after everybody leaves and says, I've betrayed innocent blood. He's standing up to them saying that Jesus is innocent. That, that's a big deal. That would take a lot of boldness. They don't care. They don't care about Judas. And they don't care about the truth about Jesus. They say, what is that to us? See to it yourself. They're like, your guilt is your own problem. You, we don't care. We don't care that you feel guilty for betraying innocent blood. These are the guys that are the priests that are supposed to be the mediators between God and man. They're supposed to be the ones that are, that are taking... When God says His name, compassionate, merciful, forgiving to Moses... They're the guys that are supposed to be representing that to Judas who has guilt for condemning, betraying innocent blood. And they say, that's not our problem. Wow, right? So let's just elevate how evil these guys are. See to it yourself. Solve your own problem. He throws down, he throws down the pieces of silver into the temple. And in his despair, he goes and he hangs himself. Uh, there's another, another one of the Gospels said that he threw himself down and his guts spilled out. Real graphic. And of course, those don't, those don't, those aren't exclusive to each other. That could have all happened, right? You're just getting more details and different details. Isn't it wild that Judas, Judas had to be a close friend of Jesus. He had to be close to him in order to fulfill so many prophecies about my friend would betray me. If he was always his enemy, it wouldn't be a betrayal. It would almost be like honorable if he was his enemy and he killed his enemy, right? Judas betrayed him because they were friends. Judas betrayed Jesus because he heard all the teachings that Jesus ever had to teach. Judas was there to hear them, to hear about the prodigal son coming home and killing the fattened calf and being welcomed in. Judas was there to hear about the, the woman that was forgiven so much that she couldn't stop crying and washing Jesus' feet and how she loved Jesus so much because she was forgiven so much. I want I to consider the betrayal here of Judas turning in Jesus for 60 pieces of silver was an out, outward activity of the betrayal that Judas already did in his heart. That he didn't believe Jesus was real. That he didn't believe all these things were true. 
Because if anybody's going to repent and be sorry and come back, you would think it would be somebody that listened to all the stuff that Jesus taught about God's mercy and forgiveness. Even about Jesus teaching about Him rising from the dead. If Judas believed that, even if he knew that he turned Jesus over to be killed, he would know that Jesus was going to come back from the dead and they could work something out. A lot of times preachers contrast Judas and Peter. And this really, this doesn't happen very much in Matthew, but it stands out if you think about that. If you think the betrayal of Judas happened weeks or even years before he sold out Jesus for the silver. And it was that he just didn't believe it. Whereas Peter, he denied Jesus, but he believed that Jesus would have to do something. He knew that Jesus wasn't just a man. And so he stuck around, right? And you see that when Peter sees Jesus on the shore after he rises, spoiler alert, when Jesus rises from the dead, that's right, it happens. Peter runs out and he says, it's the Lord. He's still knowing that the Lord is still going to do stuff. But Judas didn't, so he kills himself. The chief priests. Oh, now these guys, they just get nastier and nastier, right? Taking the pieces of silver, it's not lawful to put this money into the treasury since it's blood money. So they take the money... And they're so worried about the law, even though they just had an illegal court overnight that they weren't supposed to have. They didn't have two, they couldn't, between all of the 70 people in the Sanhedrin, they couldn't find two people to have a story that matched to persecute, to prosecute Jesus. But now all of a sudden they're worried about the law. That this is blood money and it can't come into the temple. So let's buy a field That'll be a burial place for strangers. Then you get this wild business of Matthew. Matthew, who knows, who was raised Jewish, knows all the prophets, and was always watching and seeing Jesus as the fulfillment. He's just fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. Matthew 27, 9. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying... They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. This happened to Jeremiah. They gave Jeremiah to buy a field. And that even that activity of a prophet was being fulfilled later in Jesus' life where they took some money and they bought a field to bury foreigners. Isn't that wild? They, um, they had rules about who could be buried where. I mean, we even have this now, right? With, they've got a Jewish cemetery and a Catholic cemetery and a Protestant cemetery and a secular cemetery and all sections and all that. Alright, so we're done with Judas. We're ready to move on from Judas? Alright. Let's just skip back to Matthew 27, 1 to figure out what happened just before all that because they kind of break it up. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. 
So the Jewish leaders, they led everything religious. And there was no separation of church and state. Everything was mixed together. And so the Jewish leaders were really powerful, but they could not execute anybody. So they could imprison people, they could fine people, they could take property away from people and give it to other people. They could do all kinds of legal stuff. But they couldn't say, you have to be killed. You're sentenced to death. Only the Roman leaders could do that. So they got to get the Roman leaders to want to kill Jesus. But they have a problem. Because what they're going to tell Jesus, what they're going to tell the Roman leaders is... He committed blasphemy, and he said he was equal to God. And the Romans don't care about Yahweh at all. They don't care about Yahweh. They don't think Yahweh is real. All kinds of disrespect for the Jewish people. So if they go to the Romans and they say, he committed blasphemy, Pilate's going to be like, y'all commit blasphemy. Big deal. Get out of my court. So they didn't know what to do. Then they said, he said he's going to tear down the temple. And they're like, he can't tear down the temple. It's huge. And he's just one guy. It can't be torn down. So they, this is what they did all night. Was they accused him, they accused him, they accused him. So Matthew 27, 11, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, that's what, you, that's what you're calling me. You have said so. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. So Jesus is there. He's brought before Pilate. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, that's what you're calling me. You, you're the one that says that. And then all these other guys start yelling. Jesus doesn't say a word. He is totally quiet. So you know, when you're accused of something, we, we, we go through this with our kids. I go through it in my head when I'm accused of things. Either the people that are accusing you are right or they're wrong. Right? I mean, whatever they're accusing you of, they you really did it or you didn't do it. If you did it, then you take it and you admit it and there it is and you have to live with that if you didn't do it you can let people be wrong there are people all over the place walking around being wrong about all kinds of stuff all the time and so here's Jesus realizing he's been telling these guys they're wrong for three years and they didn't listen and it's not going to do any good to bring Pilate in, who Pilate doesn't know any of the stuff that's going on anyway. It's, he knows it's not going to do any good to say to Pilate, well, they're wrong because of this, this, and this. Because Pilate's not going to understand it anyway. He knows he doesn't have to understand them because they're not, they're not being logical. They're not making any sense at all. They're not, they have no regard for the law, or they wouldn't have had a court at night. They don't have any regard for God. Because then they would actually listen to this guy who's been bringing people back from the dead. <laughs> so he doesn't even have to talk. And what happens? Pilate says, 
Don't you hear how many things they're accusing you of? At this point, Jesus doesn't even answer Pilate. Just think that through for a minute. How tough, how tough is Jesus if he's just there? Like, wow. It makes me look back on things and like stuff I went through and different things that happened to me. I was like, I wish I would have shut my mouth. Like, I would have been so tough if I would have just... Impossible. Come on. I can't shut my mouth. So, what they're accusing Jesus of, they knew they couldn't accuse Jesus of anything religious. So they have to appeal to Pilate as the Roman governor. So they accuse him of being a revolutionary. If you're a dictator and you rule, you don't want any revolutionaries. They accuse him of telling people to not pay their taxes. Remember how that happened? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. So they are completely lying when they say he says not to pay taxes. They're also resisting because they don't want to give to God what is God's. And then finally, the thing that they really liked was they said he claims to be king. And if he claims to be king, but Pilate is supposed to be the king, right? He's supposed to be the ruler. That's what's going to make Pilate mad. So that's why Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He doesn't say, did you say to not pay taxes? He can bring in an army. Yeah, we got to talk about Pilate. Pilate was bad. He was a bad, bad dude. He would kill entire villages if he heard that there might be a plan to possibly revolt, perhaps. Boom. Wipe out the village. He also was afraid of the Jewish leaders because the Jewish leaders would threaten him that we'll send a delegation back to Rome to tattle on how evil you are. And so what he would do, the village that he stomped out and wiped out, was an enemy village of the Jewish people. And so if he did that, as long as he didn't make the Jewish leaders mad, but he stomped on the Jewish enemies, then the Jewish leaders wouldn't go and complain about him. Um, so in the whole Roman Empire, everybody had to join the army. Every young man had to spend a couple years in the army and then he'd go back home. Except for the Jews. Because the Jewish people said, it is against our religion to fight for any other kingdom. And they put up such a stink about it that the Roman Empire yielded and said, okay, every single nation that we conquer has to join the army unless you're Jewish. Wow. All right, so you know the Ten Commandments? Don't make any idols. Unlord your God. Worship me alone, right? So that included not making any statues of animals. Because that would, could lead to being an idol that people would worship. So when the Romans would march, the Roman armies would march, they would have these poles. They didn't do flags. They, they had poles. And on the end of the pole would be an eagle to show the might of Rome. When the Roman armies, this is, they've taken over Jerusalem. They're running Jerusalem. 
There's no fight. They're just showing how tough they are. When they made it to Jerusalem, they took down those poles and they took the eagles off and they hid them in a bag. And they would march around just with poles. I mean, can you imagine? Like, see that little point up there? You know how sometimes they have an eagle on it? That, that eagle on top is actually a flashback to Roman Empire conquest. So, anyway, I'm glad we have spikes. That helps this not look so bad. They would take that off and walk around with a pole out of respect for the Jews to not wave idolatry in their face. But not Pilate. Pilate kept all the eagles. He kept all the lions. He kept everything. And was just obnoxious about showing off. We're Rome. We, we make graven images. And don't get lippy with me or I'll make all your Jewish boys go to join the army. I mean, he was bad. He uh, eventually lost his post when... He killed a whole bunch of people in, Syria, in um, Samaria. And the Samaritans got a delegation to go to Rome to complain about him. And he got removed. And he had to go to Rome and answer for what, why he was so heartless. So, so Pilate kills people. And it's no big deal. And here's Jesus in front of him being questioned. He knows that Pilate is just this bloody man. And he gives him no answer. Not even to a single charge. He didn't answer anything. So it's the Passover feast. So everything's riled up anyway, right? It's kind of like, you know, around the, the three days before the 4th of July, you hear all the bang, 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 bang. And you don't think somebody's shooting off their gun. You think, oh, it's firecrackers because it's the 4th of July is in three days, right? No big deal. If everybody's yard signs went out in the middle of January about vote for somebody, you'd be like, what in the world? What's happening? But all the yard signs go out in the last half of October, it's no big deal. Well, this is no big deal that there's a million people in Jerusalem right now. That is packed. There's crowds everywhere. It's the, the celebration of the Passover. At the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner they wanted. You know how the president will pardon people on Christmas? This is exactly the same thing. It's Passover. We're going to release a prisoner out and he'll just go free and, and be pardoned. They had a notorious, I don't know what translation you have. The ESV says a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was a bad dude. There are some early manuscripts that his name was Jesus Barabbas. Some people think that he might have been named, named Jesus also. It was a common name. It was kind of like, it was the same name as Joshua. And there were a bunch of Joshua's in this time period. And there were a bunch of Jesus's in this time period. When they gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ. So the, in the earlier manuscripts, it's Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ. Like there's, they're both, they're both arrested and they're both named Jesus. 
Pilate gives them these two options because he knows, it says right there, it was out of envy that they turned in Jesus. He knows that it's not fair. And so he's hoping that all the people will be like, give us Jesus the Christ because Jesus Barabbas is this bloodthirsty murderer. Who in the world would want him released? Then you have this other side little note. This is a weird Matthew. Usually all the weird stuff's in Luke, but now we get one little weird thing in Matthew. It says, besides, while he, this is Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. I don't know where Pilate's wife has this dream about Jesus. And that he's righteous. And it causes her a whole bunch of trouble. Enough that she sends word to her husband. Don't. Just do not do anything with Jesus. Don't hurt him. Don't, don't be involved in all that. Isn't that wild? So church history got a little weird with this one verse. And you can see it if you look at old uh, medieval tapestries and some old paintings. Sometimes... In the, in the whole scene of Jesus being crucified and the passion and all this, you'll see this lady sitting in a bed and the devil whispering to her. And they de people developed this idea that the devil was trying to stop the crucifixion from happening by talking to Pilate's wife. I, we don't have anything in here that says that, right? Um, kind of weird. But, from what we do have, uh, uh, Sola Scriptura, one of the five solas of the Reformation, where only look at the Scripture, it beats tradition. So if we just look at the Scripture here, we see Pilate is getting a chance to stop. The Pilate is getting a, this little... You know how when you're driving down the highway and you're not paying attention, and you're checking with your phone, and you're posting on Instagram, and you're playing video games, and you hit that thing on the side, and it goes Brrr. And you're like, I'm fine, I'm not, I'm not asleep at all. And your wife is like, do you want me to drive? And you're like, no, no, I'm fine. Brrr. Pilate's getting one of these. Pilate's getting one of those hints. Pilate, this is your chance, dude. You don't want to have anything to do with this man's death. Nothing happens of that. Isn't that wild? It says that. It doesn't give any... Pilate doesn't respond to it. It doesn't say anything. The other wild part about Jesus is if you have a dream about Jesus and you suffer, it's not because of Jesus. It's because of you. Because when Jesus shows up, what, did, what does He show? He shows the Father. And if we draw near to Him, he, he welcomes us, right? All the things that Jesus has been teaching for three years. She has suffered. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas so they could destroy Jesus. So the chief priests and the elders are working through the people. So then when he asks again, which of the two do you want me to release? They all say Barabbas. They're shouting Barabbas. 
What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. Crucify him. Now Pilate, who, this just shows how crazy this is. Pilate is bloodthirsty, you guys. He kills people like a hobby. But when they say, kill Jesus, the Christ, he defends him. So this just shows how brutal this is and how unfair this is. And he says, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted even louder, crucify him, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, a riot is getting ready to start. The people are just going absolutely berserk. Crucify him, crucify him. He took water and he washed his hands before the crowd and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Isn't it wild that Pilate's response is the same as the response of the high priests when Judas said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they, the guys that should be responsible for righteousness say, that's your own problem. Take care of it yourself. Pilate, who should be responsible for the laws of the land and the, the organization and the, the peace of the society, says, it's not my problem. Take care of it yourselves. Wow. The other wild part, this whole hand-washing thing, this was a law from the book of Deuteronomy. That if a dead person was found out in the middle of some cornfield somewhere, oh, how'd this guy die? Nobody knows. So you measure. Is he closer to Howell? Is he closer to Lamasco? Or is he closer to New Harmony? Well, we know he's closer to New Harmony. So you go to New Harmony, and the elders of the city of New Harmony come out, and you make a sacrifice, and you see the man, and they say, we have no idea. We are innocent of this man's blood. And they wash their hands in public. So somehow Pilate, I mean, he is the president of Jerusalem, right? This area of Israel. So he's seen Jewish customs. So he's seen this happen probably. And he does it to them. He's like, this guy is going to die. And we don't know who's killing. We're, nobody's taking responsibility. It's not me. Let it be on your own. The people answered. No, so this is a... Okay, hold on. The people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. They are so zealous and so crazy to crucify Jesus that now they're saying, if, if it's wrong for us to kill this man, may his blood be on our hands and on our children's hands. They're, they're invoking a curse on themselves. It is so appropriate, you guys, that we are reading this kind of madness during election week. I don't know about you. I have friends that are so psycho crazy about this candidate or that candidate that they're invoking these kinds of, I mean, they're not invoking these kinds of curses, but other kinds of curses. Oh, you know. 
May the blood be on us and on our children if we don't kill Jesus. They're so zealous about a cause that they would just wish death on people if they're not for that cause. And Jesus is standing in the middle of this. There's so many people in Jerusalem, you guys. It's highly likely that somebody in this crowd at least has a relative that has been healed by Jesus. All Remember, people would bring their, their sick, they'd bring their demon-possessed from all around, so Jesus would heal them. Remember when he, when he fed 5,000, when he fed the 7,000? There was this huge amount of healing that went on with all that teaching. And now everybody from all over Israel has to go to Jerusalem for the feast. So the people that are here yelling this, they've gotten so worked up about this issue of we need to kill Jesus that they've completely forgotten who he is and now they're invoking curses on themselves. This reminds me, maybe Wednesday, maybe in January, I don't know. At some point we're going to have a president. We don't know who it's going to be. But if on the way leading up to picking a president, we bring all kinds of curses on ourselves, that people aren't going to hear me talk about the love of Jesus because I was so mean about the president that I was for, I've lost and the devil has won. Right? So these people have absolutely lost their minds. <laughs> the priests have lost their minds because they have this guy who is repentant. I've shed innocent blood and they say, that's your own problem. And they let him go kill himself. The, the government has completely fallen apart because they're saying, you have to do the just thing. And he's like, I'm not doing nothing. I'm washing my hands and it's on y'all. And they say, good, it's on us and on our children. So he releases Barabbas. And then he went and sent and had Jesus scourged. Now this is terrible and it's interesting. The scourging was terrible. It was being whipped. It was being beaten. Um, there's historical accounts of people just dying right there, which would be mercy because crucifixion is so horrible. And even if um, there were there were Roman soldiers that if they... Okay, we'll rewind. Talk about the Reformation. There were times when they burned people at the stake. And if they respected the person that they were going to burn, they would set the fire way over here so all the smoke would choke them out and they would die of smoke inhalation before the fire ever made it to the person. Because they, they wanted to respect that person and they didn't want them to suffer. If they really wanted you to suffer, they would put the fire right under you so you'd feel the heat. With crucifixion, if they wanted... It's weird. If they didn't want you to suffer so much, they would have you scourged so that you would die of the scourging instead of dying of the crucifixion. 
Because most of the time, people would die from the scourging. So there's this little weird business that, that Pilate does this, and you just start to wonder, he's washing his hands of it so much, he just wants it over for Jesus. But he doesn't step in. They scourge him, and then they mock Jesus. They gather the whole battalion before him. They strip him. They put a robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a stick in his hand. And they all start bowing down, Hail, King of the Jews. And they're mocking him. They spit on him. They took the reed. They hit him in the head. And he's got a crown of thorns, so it's terrible. They mock him. They take the robe off. They put his own clothes on him. They take him away to be crucified. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert? And the devil said, If you are the Son of God, bow down and worship me, and I will give you all of these kingdoms. And Jesus resisted, and it says the devil went away until a more opportune time. Here is Jesus, and here are hundreds of men bowing down to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and mocking him. Isn't that amazing? At that moment, Jesus could have been like, All right, Satan, let's do it. And boom. Would have wiped out everybody. He would have been, he could have healed himself any minute, right? He didn't do that. So not only is he not defending himself, no, Pilate, they're all wrong. Listen to me. He's staying quiet. Not only is he not defending himself by, he could easily heal his own wounds, he's not even healing his own wounds. How, how awesome would it have been if, as they're all mocking him, if he just starts healing dudes of their injuries? He didn't do that. He's just letting it all happen. He is taking it all. As we think about Jesus and we think about how is he helping us, How's he helping me today? Today I'm having a terrible time. Why is this going like this, Jesus? This might sound harsh, but when you read this, you start to realize he doesn't have to do anything else for you. He did all this. That's a weird noise. He did all of this for us. He did all of this. He didn't complain. He didn't Yield. He didn't fix it to make it not so bad. He did all of this for us. And uh, that, whenever we're crying out to Jesus, why don't you do this for me? Why aren't you changing this? I want you to think about everything that he's already done. But I don't want you to feel about it guilty. Because on top of that, just like we've talked about earlier today, He loves to continue to do things for us. He loves to continue to save us from our sins. He loves to continue to encourage us. So I'm going to stop here, but Jesus didn't stop here. And, um, and keep that in mind. And, and just as we pray to Him, and as we go through hard things, know He went through the hardest thing of anybody. You can't top Jesus, right? And um, 
And in the midst of all of this, this is all right after the, the uh, Last Supper. So this is all right after. Remember, he still smells like the perfume that the lady poured on him. That's still there. That whiff is still there. He knows he's going to die. And he knows he's going to be raised from the dead as he goes through all of this. All right, let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you did this. That you gave, you gave yourself over and over. But in the end, you gave your very own, even your own blood to save us from our sins, to rescue the world and to be our Savior and to prove that you are the Christ. And Lord, we worship you and we praise you. And we hope that we never forget this stuff that you did, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, that we will always remember that you did all of the worst of any of it for us because you loved us so much. We praise you, Lord. Amen. All right.